Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, this is kind of, uh, I guess, unofficially slash officially our first episode of the uh, of the new season. So always a little bit of a special, I don't know, special feeling. That's probably overselling it, but excited to uh, jump into the official position preview series. Is like I said, it does mention kind of the beginning of our official calendar, and uh, excited to. Started off with quarterback, so a lot of different uh, names to mention here. Try to give you the best, honest assessment of what Florida State has, how the season could be shaped by injuries or impacted overall, depending on how many guys see time and the circumstance that uh, dictates when and where they see the playing field. So uh, with that in mind, let's jump into our quarterback position preview and uh, look forward to the conversation that we can have tonight. I think it's just going to be a very positive show. Everybody who I talk to around the program believes Florida State is going to be upgraded at the position both at the top but also from a depth perspective. And you really can't talk about this year without first taking a quick look back to last year to review what has left the program. And uh, DeAndre Francois has left the program, uh, in my opinion, not a great leader, not a great teammate. And honestly, last year, not that great of a player. Florida State was 52nd in passing S&P Plus last year. 95th in efficiency, 27th in explosiveness, so a a pretty good uh, pretty good split there. He threw for uh, 2,731 yards, uh, 57% completions. None of those are, are really that stellar. 15 to 12 touchdown to interception ratio, again, not that special. 49 rushes, 194 yards, and has uh, has since transferred out. I do think it's important to note that he was really never the same. I didn't think after his knee injury. And I also am not sure that he was a guy who 100% bought into the offense. And a lot of people have said, well, why the heck was he starting? And I think that that is probably one of the things we can look back on last season and say, yeah, I mean, that may have been a good hint as far as some of the, the discord between the head coach and offensive coordinator. But they seem to believe he was the best guy for the job at the time. I'm pretty confident if he had stayed around that that, that would, would not have been the case. For this year. So Florida State actually has probably their deepest quarterback room since since when? 2013 or 14, I would I would say. Yeah, probably the 14 year. Always been a little bit of an issue ever since then. Uh, and you've got some some decent pieces. You've got some decent numbers to address the situation, particularly with Travis officially getting cleared. But there's certainly not a, you know, you got good numbers and you feel decent about the floor, but the ceiling will be more the area of conversation tonight where uh, I think if we have a real honest assessment, I look forward to it because I'm not sure either of us know exactly what the ceiling is for Blackman and we'll uh, try our best to lay that out as to exactly what that might look like. It, it's such an interesting thing here, <clears throat> thing here, excuse me, because James Blackman, he is a new starter for this year, but but he's already started a season's worth of games, right? He has 13 career starts, 2740 career passing yards, 24 touchdowns, 12 picks, 59% completions. Looked pretty good against NC State last year. Granted, NC State, uh, their defense was was not that good. In the secondary last year, uh, a bigger guy than, than Francois as far as height, 6'5". Seems to be close to 200 pounds now. Has, has steadily put on weight since he got on campus. He was always a guy who, basically from the point when he signed, we said, not a guy who should be playing early, right? A guy who has a lot of talent, but is going to need development and time in the system. And in some ways, he's received that, right? He's had time to lift weights. He's had time to learn about college football. 
In other ways, he's not really had time in the system because he's had three offensive coordinators in as many years. And yet James Blackman could be your starting quarterback for this year, next year, and the year afterward. And I think there's some high upside with him. He throws a very pretty deep ball. He has a really big arm. I don't think people appreciate uh, the the RPMs that, that he can put on the ball. He's a pretty good athlete. He's not a freaky athlete. I don't know if he is a uh, an athlete who is going to bowl you over as a runner or or shake you that much, right? Like he seems to be a guy that has decent straight line speed. Does that, does that make sense? Like, like he might be a better athlete than he is runner. I, I guess is what I'm trying to say there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I would I would phrase it this way. He, he's a guy that I would love to see. Never carry the ball with with one arm. Basically, I just love to see him put two arms on it, run in a straight line, and get what he can. I don't think, like you said, he's he's never going to be somebody that you know jukes, uh, jukes you out your shoestrings or anything like that. He's just a a guy who I think when he makes the decision to run, can make a decision to protect both himself and the football and get what's there. And uh, I, I don't ever really want James trying to get a whole lot more than uh, what is immediately available. I think that's that's exactly right. As a thrower, he's had some inconsistency uh, with with short and intermediate accuracy at times. I think that's largely related to mechanics. And, of course, Kendall Browles, the new offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, is, is working with him on that to try and improve things. I have no idea if what they're doing in practice as far as that is going to translate to games. The other thing that they're really emphasizing with him specifically – is, is quickness of the release. James has a bit of a windup. It's not the longest motion in college football, but but it, it is longer than I think some of the Browse quarterbacks have had. That's not a disqualifying trait for him, but it, it is maybe makes him not the most ideal you know, out of all the quarterbacks in the country to run this offense. But I think he can run this offense at a, at a fairly high level. Uh, and yet he's, as of this recording, Tuesday, August 13th, He's not even been named the starter because Florida State is still uh, having an ongoing quarterback battle, at least uh, officially. But it is hard to find anybody over there who legitimately thinks that Blackman is is not going to win the job. I have yet to find somebody. Uh, and it may just be a matter of time before he's announced as a starter. But the guy who would be pushing him in theory uh, the most is it's Alex Hornerbrook. So Hornerbrook's a little bit of an interesting situation in the fact that you got a kid to transfer in who, look, I'm sure you have the same conversation that you do everybody, and that is if you're the best option, if you're the best player, you're going to see the field. But a lot of times when you're talking with transfers, particularly transfers quarterbacks, you're talking about a, a, a turnkey situation where they come in, start for maybe their final year, maybe two years, depending on what their eligibility is left and how they fit in with your offense. And this guy appears to, at least uh, from afar, be one of the few suitable quarterback options of a transfer that maybe doesn't – I'm sure he has the want to start. Almost everybody does. But I'm not necessarily sure the expectation is there. And uh, it's just a nice, solid addition and gives you a much higher a much higher floor as to what the, the worst-case scenario could be at this position. When the news of the transfer came out, my first thought was, this is great news because they absolutely needed somebody to – to come in and, and provide quality depth. And it's great that you got somebody with experience. And and Hornerbrook has a ton of experience. I mean, he's played the better part of three seasons in the Big Ten. Now, granted, it's the Big Ten West. Big Ten West is a uh, a lot easier division, probably the worst division in uh, in college football overall out of the, the you know the, the 
the places that actually have divisions. Some concerning things about Horner Brooks' track record, not him as a person or anything like that, but but some things about his track record that, that do concern me a lot. Number one, his touchdown to interception and in big Big Ten play, one-to-one ratio. Again, he's playing against the bad side of, of the Big Ten and not that many games against the Big Ten East. One-to-one uh, touchdown to interception ratio is is really bad. Second thing that bothers me is all the Wisconsin people I talked to say he was not going to be the starter if he came back this year. Like they were very convinced that he was going to get beaten out uh, and and would not would not be back. Third thing is I do think he has a pretty quick release, uh, which is good for this offense, but the arm is not – it's really not that great from everybody who, who's seen him in, in person – uh, and he's also not a, a great athlete. And I tried for the better part of the day looking at my notes to figure out how to say that in a nice way. <laughs> but man, like the number one quality here is experience. The number two quality, it might be accuracy, but damn, like you, you pull up what he did last year, and I'm, I'm you got to remember that for the better part of his Wisconsin career, Alex Warnerbrook was throwing with the advantage of. One of the best offensive lines in college football. I mean, this is Wisconsin. They're they're awesome up front. I mean, they are. He's throwing under really advantageous conditions, usually off play action, uh, where, where the defense is sucked up and very much preoccupied with the run. He's not throwing all the time. Only two hundred something passes last year. Two yeah, two hundred five here, and yet still only a fifty nine percent completion rate. So not. Not that accurate, and you might say, "Yeah, but but he'll have better receivers here, and uh, and and it'll be a more wide open offense." And, and you're right; yes, he will. He will also uh, have a massive gap in terms of his offensive line versus the opposing defensive line at Wisconsin. The offensive line behind which he played almost always had a talent advantage over the defensive lines they faced at Florida State. That will probably not be the case in what do you want to say here? The majority of games. There's at least six games on this schedule where the opposing defensive line is going to have better players than FSU's offensive line. And so I, I do have concerns if he had to start games for you somewhat because it's like, okay, this is a player who struggled a lot in situations where he was not asked to win games. He was asked to be a complimentary piece. Here, Florida State's going to be asking their quarterback to win us games this year. If he is put in there to do that, uh, I, I do have some concerns, a, a 6.6 yards per attempt so that that's kind of my take on Hornerbrook. it's much better that you have him than not having him however i don't know that i'm not 100 percent convinced of what he brings beyond his experience and and pushing blackman some well i feel like this is almost a hundred percent a shot but uh, also a reminder that uh, at the very least He's got a great track record against Miami. So there is for he that does. there is that for us to fall back on. You know, there's there's a ability and availability and that's what you got from him. Uh there I've heard the same whispers that you have as far as concerns about his arm strength. I think that this is a flawed product, but a product that you needed to badly to be able to get and put on your put on your uh <clears throat> your roster there and uh, hey look, if nothing else he had a hell of an evening at an Orange Bowl against Miami, and maybe he would uh, be able to produce such an effort if he was called upon one more time. Maybe the, maybe they should put him in uh, like Julie the Cat Gaffney, right, in, in Mighty Ducks 2 to face Gunnar Stahl just because he, he's fancy and he goes glove side and, and, and she was the lefty, even though she was a cold goaltender. 
perhaps you pull Alex Hornberg off the bench against Miami because he does just light Miami up consistently. The uh, one Orange Bowl performance, 23 of 34 for 258 yards and four touchdowns against Miami's defense, which was the strength of the team. Uh, so, yeah, he does have a, a statistical performance or two against the Canes in his back pocket that he can boast about. We'll see how much uh, old Hornibrook's name really gets into the circulation, and we'll, we'll probably devote a couple minutes to talking about what the impact on the record would be if he – uh, where to get meaningful snaps. Louisiana Hot Sauce Bud, four years of us being able to brag on a fantastic product, great partner for us, uh, something that I use damn near every day, if not multiple times a day. Just want to thank them. This is our fourth season of working with them, like I mentioned, fourth season of position previews and everything else that we do. Hats off to the people at New Iberia. Thank you again for the opportunity to be able to work with you. The next player that we'll talk about, Bud, is somebody that's been on uh, the tip of our tongue pretty frequently recently as he was recently officially cleared by the NCAA. Jordan Travis, a kid out of uh, out of the Palm Beach County area, pretty decorated high school athlete. Throwing is a little bit of a, an issue at this point as far as the consistency and accuracy, but an athletic quarterback that you can work with and at this point a, a pretty decent option if you were to uh, get down to your third spot on the roster. Absolutely. So when I think about Jordan Travis, I, I, I kind of think of a guy who fits this offense pretty well. Now, the, the stuff he ran in the spring game was very pared down. Obviously, he hadn't been on campus very long and uh, had, had just transferred from Louisville. It's great news that, that he was able to get his waiver approved. Uh, Palm Beach County, where, where he played, I think he was the I think he was the three A player of the year there, which is which is pretty solid. Very athletic, good size. He's not enormous, but but he's a pretty good sized athletic kid. Good ath- athletic family. His brother uh, Devon Travis was a a uh, really good really good player for Florida State baseball, and then is also with the Toronto Blue Jays still, I believe. Like I said, very athletic. The throwing, the arm is okay. I don't. It, it's not like some enormous arm that you would think based on the fact that, that his brother is a pro baseball player with, with, with those genetics. The arm is 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 fine. It, it's not it's not a, a Blackman caliber arm. If you watch these guys throw, Blackman's ball really stands out. He's also been, from what I understand, a little bit erratic, at least from what I've been told at, at practice throwing the ball. But hey, he's he's new to the system. He's a guy who you could use as a changeup. Florida State is probably going to have challenges in the red zone again this year. Last year, they were 125th in red zone efficiency. And uh, part of that is they they knew they couldn't run the ball down in the red zone. They really didn't have a quarterback who would do it. And uh, they certainly couldn't push anybody around with their offensive line uh, on on the plays that they didn't fall start or, or miss, an ass- miss an assignment or whatever. So it wouldn't shock me to see uh, Jordan Travis maybe in in some some rushing packages there. If, if we've seen one thing in Kendall Brown's career as an offensive coordinator, it's that he is really committed to, to pulling out all the stops and, and using his pieces in whichever way gives him the, the best chance to win. He's, he's always shown an ability and, and really a, a willingness to take and sit down and look at his roster and say, okay, can we use this guy? Is it, an, is it a net positive for us if we pull this dude off the field and put this guy on the field in this situation? And if so, do it. And, and may, maybe there is something there – with Travis maybe in some red zone stuff, potentially. But, look, it's really good that you have Jordan Travis on this team now as opposed to not, because now you actually have three scholarship quarterbacks who are eligible and not true freshmen. I, I got to say, a lot of a lot of teams don't have that. In, in the transfer era, that's that's kind of neat. And yet they, they also have, have a fourth guy to talk about. 
Yeah, so uh, Wyatt Rector's a, a name that we won't spend a ton of time on, but he's a, he's, he's got a hell of a backstory. I, I think uh, a couple different outlets had pretty good coverage on just his history of bouncing around a couple places, trying to find a place to land, and was mulling over a couple D two options, and then all of a sudden got a call from got a call from Kendall Browse, and uh, he's a guy who's a real physically. Like, you, you, I don't know, not a name to throw around on a Florida State podcast a ton, but, uh, you know, almost be used in a, a Tebow S style as far as a real power runner uh, from the quarterback position. I think if you do see him, almost like a, a fullback uh, battering ram type of player. So, uh, look, if if he's your starter, we've got major problems. We're probably looking at two years not going to a bowl. I'm not trying to hype a kid up, but it is your fourth option, and uh, there's a you know there's some interesting tools that maybe you could situationally work around. Exactly right. Look, I don't think he's a Florida State quality thrower. At least I, I haven't seen that from him yet. But, hey, he's a big dude. He's very physical. He lifts a lot of weight. And in a certain situation, maybe he could work, like you said, as a Tebow-esque uh, type, type runner there. We'll uh, pause real briefly to thank our friends at Madison Social for doing this yet again with us and want to remind people as to the uh, Jacksonville tailgate. Hey, look, uh, we, we have transitioned pretty significantly here at this point to uh, not being able to describe <laughs> what the tickets are, but being able to stress to you authentically that there really aren't that many tickets left. Uh, at this point, they've sold out of food tickets. Uh, they were starting to, like I said, have a more of a capacity conversation rather than tickets sold conversation. They are going to have proof 850 uh, Mingo Wit, Natterdays, White Claws, air conditioning, all the things that are necessary for a first class tailgate. And we very much hope you join us. Next thing I want to talk about here in this quarterback preview is sort of what what Forest Day is going to ask of its quarterbacks under the new Kendall Brow system. And Kendall Browse has been pretty open about this, that this is a bit of a continuity hire, right? Uh, he said from a tempo perspective, a lot of the things they're doing are the same. He also said that, you know, that other things they're doing are not the same. Uh, but I think that's only partially true. And I'm not trying to say Kendall has is, is not been truthful here. I think he is. But Florida State already went through the pro style to spread switch last year. And that's a thing that, that Browse is not having to deal with because they, they already switched to a spread last year. They already understand – the importance of of the spacing and and some of those concepts. So he's not having to reteach why they're doing certain things. I mean, they make they use different terminology. They're going to run certain different plays. But a lot of the formations and the, and the lining up, which they were actually not good at last year, we recall with the the getting lined up, is is going to be a, a bit more old hat for them. But I would say the number one thing to, to really look at here is is tempo. Last year, Houston was fourth in the nation in tempo. That's pretty darn quick. You want to guess what uh, what what Ford Atlantic was? Uh, their top fifteen tempo team. Uh, they were number two Ooh, in the nation. Okay. So back to back years, number four and then number two and then Baylor twenty sixteen. You want to take another guess? Top five. Two. Baylor twenty fifteen. Sounds as though I'd be uh, statistically wise to keep this within a pretty small narrow range. Top top four. T- top one. Top one. Okay, that's a they good top one. They were top, top one. one. So the last four years of Kendall Browse as an offensive coordinator, his teams in adjusted pace metric, which is how many plays are you running relative to your run-pass ratio compared to the average team that has a similar run-pass ratio as you and similar game state as far as win-loss, you know, are, are you up or are you down? First, second, second, fourth. 
it is very easy for me to say this because with those numbers, but I, I think it's important to say this. Ken Abraz wants to go so much faster than Florida State even wanted to go last year. And Florida State last year was not able to go very fast because they couldn't get out of their own way. They kept shooting themselves in the foot. They were just total garbage on first down. I don't think that they will be able to go this fast, right? Simply because the talent differential between what Florida State has in the offensive line and what it has to block is a lot bigger than what Kendall Browse faced at any of those four prior stops. Uh, but still, last year, Florida State was 49th in tempo. The quarterback is going to be tasked with making sure his offense is lining up really quickly. Because I think this will be a, a top 20 tempo team in the nation. Maybe top 15. We'll see how things go. If they get to number five or number four, I mean, that, that, that would be pretty nuts. But I do think that a lot of this, this tempo stuff falls on the quarterback. And it is good that most of the players seem to look towards James Blackman as a leader. And I'm not sure all of them did uh, to DeAndre Francois last year. So when he says something, it is really important that, that they have they have his respect. He'll be able to help them line up quickly and, and operating at that tempo. The second thing here, and I was actually privy to some numbers um, that I can't tell you where I got them from. You kind of got to trust me on this. Yeah, it's it's numbers that I know NFL teams have. So there, T- take a guess out, out of 32. Houston last year was number four in the nation in terms of RPOs run. Now, this is a bit of a, it's a bit of a suggest- sub- subjective statistic because how do you tell if something's actually an RPO? Somebody is actually out there grading this for an NFL team. Uh, but they were number four last year, according to this. So even if there's a little bit of, uh, of, of variance here, Running that many RPOs is is really interesting. According to this thing that I saw, Florida State was, I think they were 87th. That's another huge difference. So this is we should talk about this for a second. And when I say RPO, I don't mean zone read. RPO. <laughs> it, it, look, RPO is a misused term. When we use RPO on this show, we are literally using it to mean run, pass, option. It is a play in which the offensive line is pretty much run blocking. The quarterback has the option to either hand the ball off or pull it back and throw it as he reads a designated defender. He's not reading the whole field on the RPO, right? It's basically they're they're isolating one player on the defense. They're watching him. If he steps up, they're going to throw it behind him or over his head. If he hangs back, okay, we're going to hand hand the football off. He's he, he, he's he's staying there. We're, we're going to lock the box and go. That's a, a really big part of this offense. I think that is a way that will help the offensive line pass protect better because you're not really having to pass protect, right? You're, you're kind of run blocking. Now, you can't go 15 yards down the field, so it's more of a get that initial surge and push, kind of get out to that five-yard area where they're not going to flag you. It, it's three, but they they very rarely flag you if, if you're five yards downfield. It, it, you kind of get the flags when you're like seven and eight. And yet we see plays every year where you have offensive linemen 10 and 15 yards downfield and they are they are not flagged. One year, Old Miss basically used this tactic to beat Alabama yeah. repeatedly in the game uh, and still needed like six turnovers, including a fumble kickoff to, to pull that off. So that's going to be a really big thing. How do you think Blackman handles that? Yeah, and, and that's interesting. So I, I think you and I agree. I expect us probably to be somewhere around 12th in the nation as far as tempo goes. Do you see that much of an uptick in from 87th to uh, the use of the RPO? Do you see us maybe being somewhere in the top 20 of the offenses to start to utilize this? I just wonder, you know, one – 
what the perfect adaption in Brawl's mind is as far as what he wants to do with this type of talent, uh, both for good and for bad, against uh, the defenses that he faced, and also how much he can get his current roster to a place to be able to do uh, either of the two things that we've talked about, whether it be the the run-pass option or um, the tempo that's so commonly associated with his offenses. Sure. So the tempo thing, I think they absolutely want to do it as as much as possible. Now, success of the offense will dictate the tempo a, a little bit. I think they will have less success on first down than they did at his previous four stops, simply because of blocking, right? Like the, it, To me, it's just that simple. There's going to be a good number of games in which the opposing defensive line is a lot better than your offensive line. And you're going to have to, to scheme around that. And hopefully a couple of those games, you can pull out some W's and end up with, with a good record. With the, with the RPO thing, it is interesting because what I don't have here, and I wish I did, I don't have the numbers from 2017 and 2016 and 2015, the four years in which Browse has been a, a, a true OC. And because of that, I don't know what he does RPO-wise as far as percentages or, or rankings, I know he's still a very heavy RPO guy, but I don't know if he's you know, number four in the nation RPO like like they were last year because they had de- uh, they had they had um, a quarterback who had played a lot of receiver and was not really a, a great passer and not somebody who could drop back and, and read the whole field. I think Blackman is a better pure passer than what Browse had at Houston. Now, additionally, complicating factor here. Is he going to have time to drop back and, and read the whole field? Potentially uh, on some plays and against some teams. You got to figure those plays where he's doing that are plays where they're not necessarily, I mean, well, you don't have to figure. Are plays where he's dropping back and reading the whole field, they're not running an RPO. If he's able to do that, if they can protect for him doing that a lot, then I think that they will not run as many RPOs. If they can't pass protect, then I think they're going to have to run RPOs a, a whole lot. That's something they should have done better uh, and more of last year, unfortunately, the guy they had running running the offense uh, was was not that good at doing that. Um, so that that's another thing that I really that I see being big this year. This is kind of one of those areas, by the way, where getting rid of the ball quickly is extremely important, and that is not a strength of of Blackman. So he's going to have to do two things. Number one, he's going to have to continue to work in practice on on all these drills. Have you seen all the stuff Riles does? That I know I sent you some of those YouTube's. I think where like they have their quarterbacks with their back to the line and when they call when they call hike they spin around catch the ball and immediately fire like the ball's already in the air as they're spinning right what that teaches you is two things one you got to identify the defenders really fast but two they also want you to catch the ball sometimes not even find the laces and get rid of it because all you could with this offense there are going to be times where the guy is just wide open but maybe not for that long. And the main goal is just get it anywhere near him. And it, and, and it's his job to catch it because there's nobody around him, right? I think that they've been working with Blackman on getting rid of the ball quickly a ton. So there's two elements of getting rid of the ball quickly. It's making the read quicker, which is something you can improve at. And then on certain throws, shortening up the delivery a little bit and just, just getting it there. It, it doesn't have to be a million miles an hour. It just has to come out of your hand quickly. Absolutely. And a third, much smaller one. Let's hope that uh, this year we've cleaned up some of the uh, rather frustrating habits we've had in uh, inability to consistently get the quarterback the ball from uh, from the center position. So hopefully that's cleaned up a little bit. Nothing that defeats 
uh, a timed passing game more self in a more self-destructive manner than a quarterback either having to break his rhythm or just have a general inability to uh, field the ball. So one of Blackman's, you know, one of the biggest things, one of the hopefully the strengths that you get from this type of offense is just the ability to read, uh, make some of the reads that we've talked about, uh, be able to see the 1v1 matchups, as you talked about, occasionally see a, an overse one matchup. What do we expect exactly from Blackman in that part of the game and his ability to kind of scale up with, uh, with the demands of Browse's offense? Sure. So there actually is a, a good amount of tandem, not tandem, but basically teamwork needed between quarterback and, and receiver in this offense. So there are situations where there's some elements of this, uh, like like Jimbo's old offense, where the receiver is reading the defense and then making a choice. In fact, one of their most popular plays is is called slot choice, and, and they will run that here. They've run that everywhere they've been, uh, and thus the the quarterback needs to to see what what the receiver is doing and anticipate it as well. Now, I will say this: it is easier for him to do that in this offense in many ways than it was in Fisher's offense. Because things are so spread out, there's there are fewer defenders around that that receiver, so the choice is more obvious for both quarterback and receiver, and more obvious earlier in the play, uh, which should help if you have guys bearing down on you because you don't block that well. I, I think Blackman will will do will do pretty well at that. You'll probably hear a lot on the broadcast about he's you know he's good friends and, and roommates with with DJ Matthews et cetera et cetera. I think he's going to have good chemistry with Keyshawn Helton. Uh, and there's not that many things here where he's reading reading one guy, then reading the other guy, then reading the other guy. This is generally it, – it's an offense that is very much targeting certain areas and certain defenders and going at them and trying to exploit things as opposed to like a whole holistic, hey, here, drop back and, and read these five guys. It's also – one difference, I will say, between – how Taggart runs it and how Browles runs it is is Browles uses a lot more uh, max protection than uh, than than Taggart did last year and, and then he did at Oregon and at USF. So I'm very very interested to see how how that goes. But yeah, he'll be asked he will not be asked to read five five options on a play very often if at all. Uh, but that will be an element, right? Making sure that he and both the receiver make the right read. Resolution Home Loans is proud to be a sponsor of the Nolcast for yet another year and to help bring you these season preview episodes and hopefully make your August a little more enjoyable. They're also here to help you find a good home loan. Mine is through Resolution. Almost 30 Nolcast listeners have now used Resolution Home Loans to find their mortgage. That's the key. Working with Shannon Young, great customer service, great rates. He'll walk through the process, 844-FSU-LOAN or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. And the fourth thing to point out here with the new offense is the uh, uh, the quarterback rushing. But we're actually, I think, going to save that one because we have a listener question about that. But I, I wanted to make sure that point, yes, that that, that is an element uh, of this offense. So what do you say we get to uh, listener questions? Let's jump right into them, bud. Had some great uh, suggestions, a couple that we had to mold together to try to make a, a little bit of a, not necessarily a better question, but fuse two uh, ideas or issues when we could hopefully address with one answer. Uh, the first said question is, if Blackman goes down early in the season, say first three games, does Florida State make a bowl game? Ooh, okay. Uh, so, all right, do this in your head. Which games that you have wins right now would you probably change to losses? 
I've got I've got my answer as far as what, what yes or no yes or no on the bowl game. Uh, I will say that they yes they still make a bowl game. Yeah, so I I think I'm right there with you, but but I would have them six and six bowling. What was the game that you might have the uh, the result change? Well, I would be somewhat concerned about Wake because I, I think Wake's offense is is going to be very good. Maybe a little bit concerned about NC State because NC State has traditionally struggled with the deep ball and, and Hornerbrook has not really shown an ability to do that a, a whole lot. So th- those two are kind of the two that I have as, as wins right now. And I kind of thought, okay, maybe you'll flip one or both of those. So instead of going seven, five, eight, and four, maybe you end up going six and six or or seven and five. Yeah, for what it's worth, I went straight to the NC State game myself. Uh, second question is: Are we going to see a ton of bubble screens again? I have a trouble. I have trouble answering this question because I don't know how defenses are going to play Florida State. Right? If they continue to take away the run and take away the deep ball and leave the flats open, uh, then Florida State not only will throw the bubble screen a lot, but they should. That if, if the bubble screen is a constraint play, it's not a weapon. It's not a play you call. It's a check because the defense is specifically not covering that area. Last year, defenses did not cover that area a whole lot because really the way Florida State would hurt you would be the deep ball. And they said, okay, so we'll, we'll take away the deep ball. And then um, the better defenses you saw didn't even need to load the box at all to stop the run. They just whipped you up front despite being at, at a numerical Disadvantage. See also the screenshots that we had from the Notre Dame game, which were, God, that was sad. But the additional complicating factor for Florida State last year is that the receivers also really didn't block worth the damn. So when teams left that open, they were still able to stop it from gaining as many yards as it should have gained with simply just beating blocks and, and not outnumbering Florida State at the point of attack and, and not rallying to the ball necessarily, but just beating blocks and, and getting through there. So... I would say early in the season, you'll see a lot of bubble screens. I think that's how teams will play Florida State, at least starting out. Hopefully, Florida State is able to effectively execute some bubble screens, which is not that hard of a concept, and especially not if you have good effort at the receiver position and you're getting the ball out accurately and in a quick fashion. And if so, uh, well, maybe teams will come up and and play those bubble screens and honor them a little bit more, devote more resources to stopping them and, and, and to stopping the flats. And that could open up other things for you on the outside, like DJ Matthews or, or Keyshawn Hilton going deep from their safety position. Third said listener question is, will he be protected enough to drop flavor on teams like some Louisiana hot sauce over a nice dish? Uh, creative question there, sir. Ooh, I, I, I like that. Uh, asking about our sponsors always uh, increases your chance of getting on the show. And we've never been shy about that. So I will say that against most of the teams on the schedule, James Blackman will be protected, uh, or at, at least half. We'll have pretty decent protection, I, I think, through a combination of run game, RPOs, uh, and, and keeping defenses off balance like that, and maybe just some good blocking at times. I, I think you'll have enough opportunities to, to hit some, some deep shots and, and, and to drop that Louisiana hot sauce on defenses. Against some other teams, uh, I'm not convinced of it. I, I think sometimes the talent gap between your offensive line and the opposing defensive line is is too much. But I will say most games, uh, I like his chances. Fourth question is, which quarterback presents as the most productive option behind what this offensive line uh, may project to become? 
positive production, let's say, on obvious passing downs and then compared to a generic first down. Best fit in each scenario. Did I jack this up? Like copy pasting? I'm reading this and this doesn't make any sense to me. And, and when I put this together, it definitely made sense. <laughs> when I was reading this, I was like, huh, I'm hoping this makes uh, hoping this makes more sense to Bud than it does to me immediately. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to read that. I'm going to assume that they mean like is one quarterback better on standard downs when when you know you're not in an obvious passing situation and one quarterback better uh, on obvious passing downs. I, I think Blackman is probably better on obvious passing downs because of his ability to fit the ball in tight spaces because he has a really good arm and because he does throw a good deep ball. And when you're on obvious passing downs, a lot of times you you need to go deep. Uh, as far as the standard downs, in, in theory, potentially. Hornerbrook because of the quick release or Travis because of the athleticism. But I, I don't think that those things outweigh uh, Blackman's overall advantage there. So I, I'm going to say Blackman for both with a more pronounced advantage for him on the obvious passing downs. And I, I really hope that that answers that question because I'm I'm not sure if, if, I, if I pasted that in there correctly. I'm going to have to let you read the next question because I'm I'm not exactly sure about it as well. Okay, uh, will they be effective if the, if the sniper shows up at the stadium each week, taking down defenders between each big play? So th- this is basically, hey. Oh, oh, what do you mean I don't understand this question? That's a s- With the tempo. Yeah, yeah, slap on a wrist for myself, of course. Most teams don't do what Virginia Tech did to the extent Virginia Tech did. And as blatant and in-your-face as Virginia Tech did. Yeah, it was almost a, uh, it was almost a, uh, <laughs> Just a big middle finger as to the consistency of, oop, a big play. Well, I'm going to roll around on the ground for a little bit. But uh, more, you know, fair play to him. Seemed to work for him on the night. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to say uh, that, yes, the offense will work. Certainly it's it's been proven to work. A lot of teams are on tempo, and they're not impacted uh, to that extent. I, I, I propose a rule that, that if, you, um, if you do that, you have to miss the rest of the series. If you, if, you, if you lay on the field to where it stops play, you can't come back to the end of the series or until the next defensive series. That rule will not get passed simply because the detractors would say, hey, the problem here is that you're basically telling kids not to go down if they're in pain because they're going to have to come off the field more. And thus, what it's going to lead to is somebody staying on the field when they really should have gone down and hurting, you know, getting seriously hurt. So. But yeah, it, it's. I don't anticipate it's going to be that big of a deal. Let's hope not. It is. Uh, I would. I would love to think that this fan base would be able to be as uh, as frustrated as they could be and talk about how this offense is so effective that the all these teams have to resort to all these artificial breaks in uh, in pace of play. But uh, until then, I'll uh, I'll be much much better versed as to this quote-unquote sniper, who will occasionally appear in our questions. Uh, next question is, how many designed runs per game do you see Browse asking of Slim this fall? Based on prior history, coupled with the fact that Slim may not be the prototypical Browse quarterback. Also, do you think Hornerbrook or Travis uh, would be the option for quarterback two? Okay, so uh, we went and pulled out some stats here. Last year, Florida State had 54 quarterback rushes, and then... Houston last year, where Kendall Browles was, had 141. 54 for Florida State, 141 for Houston. 93 the previous year for FAU, where Browles was the OC. 2015 to 2016, when when Browles was still at Baylor, 
93 and 106 respectively. Now, it is important to note here that Blackman is not as athletic as uh, as as King was for um, for Houston last year. Who was the, the FAU quarterback in 17? I'm trying to remember. Uh, Jason Driscoll. So, Jeff Driscoll's uh, little, little brother, who was actually pretty athletic, probably a better runner than James Blackman was. And then Seth Russell was the better quarterback in um, – and 16, and then I think 15 was the year they had all those crazy injuries. And so they had a, a, a multitude of, of different quarterbacks. But I would project a an increase in quarterback rushes, like actual rushes, not uh, not including sacks, because these, these all don't, don't include sacks. I, I think it's safe to say that there will be at least a... If I put the number at 79, which direction would you go? Ooh. Is that almost exactly a 50% improvement? You're the percentage guy, bud. And uh, eight, eight, 81 would be a 51% improvement. So, huh. That's a damn good number. I, I, I would I would say, okay, I, I may not bet this one. That's a good number. I would probably say, I, I'll say under as far as design runs for the quarterback. But, but if you gave me something that started with a seven – like 74, 75, that, that might be my break point where I have to take over. Final question is, uh, do we see anybody other than a quarterback throwing passes this year? Do we see Cam possibly getting involved? Uh, we all have memories of of uh, DJ Matthews's pass against Miami. I'll, I'll lead us off on this one. I, I certainly hope so. Love seeing a little uh, halfback pass or any other just unique wrinkle. I think uh, – that it lends itself to what you're trying to do uh, with this offense, and I would expect. I'll say I put the I'd put the number at three, eh, three and a half, maybe a little high. I'd, I'd guess three or more passes from a non-traditional quarterback this year. I I think I agree with you there. Um, they they could throw four passes with non-traditional quarterbacks. One of the advantages I have with, with my position and seeing all these kids, I do get to see them throwing footballs around at these camps, and so you really remember. Okay, who actually had a big arm? Who did not? One dude who has a really big arm, and he actually, we actually got to see it last year in the Miami game. DJ Matthews can really throw the ball, uh, and and he has a quick release. He's not one of these huge wind up guys, and so if you if you pitch it out to him out there, his ability to get it and and flick it downfield pretty quickly is nice. I don't know about any of the other quarterbacks. I don't remember ever seeing or uh, receivers. I don't really remember ever seeing Warren Thompson throw. Uh, I don't. I never saw Jordan Young throw. I don't know about Terry. Of course, I don't know if they also if they have anybody who's as bad at throwing as Ermon Lane was. That that was probably one of my funniest days of covering Florida State. Right, like just was watching him throw and seeing Dossie just rip on him. <laughs> Be like, all right, we know who's never thrown a, thrown a wide receiver pass. Yeah, all all his extra wide receiver skills went straight into blocking, bud. That's all all you could ask. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think they can get to four or five non. Um, non-quarterback passes this year. We're excited to be doing these previews, and we're excited to tell you about Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Travis Johnson is one of two, only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of 110,000 licensed attorneys in Florida. There are a lot of them. He's one of the best. AV rated. He's on super lawyers. He's taught university classes. He's presented at CLEs. He has a statewide practice based in Pensacola, but will come to you anywhere you need in the state. From a small family law matter to big complex family law litigation, he's there for you. Also very experienced in, in appellate work, 
But remember, appellate work with family law can be difficult to win. Travis wants you to win the first time, 850-435-9919, to get experienced, quality family law representation. Travis Johnson of MetterJohnsonLaw.com. And our final uh, little point of conversation here is just a, a general ending as to what our uh, feeling is about the group in particular as we start to uh, have ideas of exiting camp, uh, how we feel about the group ceiling floor. Uh, why don't we just end this uh, position preview, bud, with a three or four minute recap as to what we expect and what we think the best and worst case scenario for the quarterback position could be. Sure. So last year they were 52nd in passing S&P. If I had to define a range as, as far as that, if they get better better blocking up front, and I think their receiver play will be better and better leadership, and assuming that, that James Blackman play, like stays completely healthy, I, I think the ceiling for this group could be pretty nice. I, I do believe in Blackman's core skills, not as like a, hey, first-round draft pick type thing, but as – as a guy who could be one of the better passers in the league, I think the ceiling for him is, let's say, taking this passing offense to maybe top 20 in passing S&P. And then if you do that, you're probably making all ACC. Not first team, because there's a dude there with long hair who's pretty good, but uh, maybe second or, or, or third team. And I'm also sort of bullish on the floor here. With, with the amount of depth they have, it's not like superstar depth or that talented depth, but they at least have guys who have some experience in Hornerbrook and some athletic ability in Jordan Travis, and they have a, a an offensive coordinator with a tremendous track record of taking pieces who might not fit perfectly at the quarterback position. See also Baylor's bowl game against UNC when they actually didn't have any quarterbacks at all and managed to rush for 400 yards. He's taken a wide variety of, of, of quarterback types, and made them very successful. So because of that, I, I actually think the floor here for this year is is pretty solid. I, I would be very surprised to see them, floor-wise, anything worse than like the 75th passing offense in, by, by S&P. I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of reason for kind of a tempered excitement with this group. Uh, James has all the things that, uh, that you want from an intangible standpoint to uh, – no reason to rehash the DeAndre Francois. And I know a lot of people think that we're super anti-DeAndre, and maybe that's uh, the the way that you listen to us. I can only tell you from an honest, uh, <laughs> an honest standpoint that we probably chose to sat on more stories about DeAndre Francois than we ever, ever thought to, to bring to air. And I, I do think that you can have a significant uptick uh, in leadership, particularly at the quarterback position. Anybody that's played the sport has an idea as to how that uh, one position can, uh, not always, but can permeate a locker room and have a overall cultural impact on a team at a level that you don't otherwise see. Uh, I'm not saying that James Blackman is some kind of panacea. I'm not saying that uh, DeAndre Francois was the ultimate boogeyman. Uh, but I do think that this position can be better both on the field and better in the locker room, and it uh, potentially could be a real step in the right direction uh, with the type of program that Willie Taggart ultimately wants to build. Yeah, like if if James Blackman, right, if if the offense has the worst day and, and, and they're, the, they're the unit that has to do more conditioning and the defense doesn't have to, I, I don't see Blackman being the type of guy who will, will kind of 
you know, kind of half-ass three sit-ups and, and, and then and then just be done with it, um, making the offensive line kind of furious. I, I think he's the type of guy who will, will run the laps and then do the sit-ups and, and, and really kind of earn the respect of those dudes to example. Going to uh, switch your focus over to Boston College here, fighting Steve Adazios as they've become known to some in the fan base. An interesting program. Uh, had some nice moments. They've also thoroughly embarrassed uh, Florida State recently and lost a game that they had no business losing to them last year. A program that has uh, slowly built under Adazio, probably taken a little bit of a step back at this point. Maybe the question uh, when looking at them is, is exactly how much of a step back they take in 2019. Yeah, indeed. Last year, they obviously uh, probably should have managed that uh, fourth down in the game situation a little bit differently than they did. It is what it is. Let's get into it, though. They definitely have an interesting split on their offense. Last year, you know, they were 85 spots better in terms of explosiveness than they were in efficiency. I mean, this was a team that was kind of big plays or nothing. They were a good play action team. Uh, they were also terrible when they were playing without the lead. They, they were a really bad team as far as just dropbacks, basically when they couldn't use play action to fool the defense and, and go over the top. Uh, very bad on passing downs, 115th in the nation in passing efficiency. But they think A.J. Brown, their, their, their quarterback, is going to be better. Maybe he will. He's, he's a junior now. He's got more experience under his belt. Last year, 20 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, 6.6 per attempt, Obviously, good explosiveness numbers, as I've already said. And he's also a decent runner. He pitched in positive 207 rushing yards on on 35 carries. I, I just don't know, man. Like, that is a tough – that's a big jump he has to make if this offense is going to improve a lot. I think it'll improve some, but, man, that is – they were 110th in the nation in success rate. That That's bad. It's an interesting offense with, with what they do. I mean, they've got a kid at running back that's it's kind of as, as well-designed as they could ever hope to have in that system and what Adazio does. I, I would argue that they're not really doing any favors for him as far as how many paychecks he collects, but that's not really a, a conversation for uh, for the college game. You've got a workhorse running back, and Steve Adazio very much addresses him as a, as a workhorse, and it's not unusual to see that kid – you know, run 36 times for 152 yards or something like that. Other places along the offense, when you look, there's a there's a lot more questions as exactly what they're going to be able to do and who they're going to be able to lean on. Yeah, exactly right. The other thing is, like, they – man, they, they run in, into loaded boxes about more than any other Power 5 team, according to, to some numbers I saw on ESPN. That's crazy. Like, they they really don't seem to trust their – their offense to drop back and just throw it against those looks. So it seems to be play action or run all the time, which, hey, I, I guess is okay if you're actually going to play action a lot, but they, they need to do that a little bit more. Like you said, A.J. Dillon's a stud, but, man, it, it – and I, I guess he wasn't fully healthy last year. He was certainly better in 2017. But I, I don't know. Like, I think this offense will be better. They, they do have another guy to replace that receiver, though, in, in Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith – was by far their most explosive player on the entire team. He had an explosiveness rating of 1.14. The next highest of anybody who had any kind of real volume was 0.34. He was really their deep play action guy. His catch rate was poor at 43.5, but he's trying to catch a bunch of bombs like you might expect. Yards per catch, 19.4. Yards per target, 8.4. Um, he was really kind of their kind of their deep guy for some of those bombs. 
They're going to have to replace him. They do have Kobe White, who they like a lot as their number one receiver. I'm not entirely sure who their next, like who their next real, real quick slot, who they can run some of the, those deep, you know, deep crossers on, is going to be. And they also lost tight end Tommy Sweeney, who's a a very good player, I believe to the, I think he got drafted, right? Or if he didn't, he's he's in a camp somewhere. I, I think these receivers should still be okay, but not incredible. You know, I, I don't think they really scare you. What BC's made their living on though recently has been the offensive line, and and here too they they have a lot of talent to replace, and people up there are very confident they're gonna be able to replace it. I'm, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt because of who their head coach is, because of how they run that program and how they develop offensive linemen. But I don't know, man. You tell me. Listen, listen to who they lose, right? Chris Lidstrom, first team All ACC NFL draft pick. Aaron Montiero, third team All ACC, forty one career starts. John Baker. 38 career starts at center. They also lose Sam Small at uh, at, at guard, 19 career starts. Uh, man, and they got Hayden Mahoney, a transfer from Miami, who I'm not sure is actually all that good. Uh, I, you, you think this this line's not going to have some kind of drop-off? Yeah, I think I think there's going to be some real questions asked of this line. I think you're right to point out who their, who their coach is, what his history group uh, position has been as far as uh, the – the group that he's the most familiar with and knows how to get uh, every ounce that you can at an offensive lineman, seemingly. Uh, but a lot of questions as to just where this production is going to come from. Shocking uh, that a, a kid that you run, you know, 42 times in a game battles injuries when you look at what uh, Dylan brings to the table. I know they're, uh, I think they're kind of quietly optimistic that maybe Ben Glines, uh, the kind of running back wide receiver, H back blend, has a has kind of a breakout year, but. Uh, I think there's questions to be asked pretty much at every every spot along the offense and some real questions as to as to where the production's exactly going to come from. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I believe that they'll make it right on the offensive line, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be better. I think it's probably neutral at best. And if that's the case, they're going to be relying on their skill guys and maybe a little bit better run game, potentially with Dylan being healthy to, to pick up the slack for the offense. The issue I have with this Boston College team, though, is not the offense. It's the defense. This is one where I'm projecting a, a fairly large drop-off in quality of play. If you go up and you scroll up on our notes, they were a number 32 defense in the nation last year. That was a hell of a lot better than their offense was. And, man, they lose a lot of guys on defense. Just looking at this, uh, Wyatt Ray, gone. That's that was their, their stud defensive end, Zach Allen. Their other stud defensive end, gone. Ray Smith, their nose tackle, he's gone too. Man, that is every single one of their no, not every single one. Excuse me, almost all of their sacks, right from their defensive line last year, those are gone. All of their passes batted down, those are gone. Their fumbles forced. Are gone. I mean, you're talking, and Allen, Ray, and Smith. That is a lot of guys. They didn't rotate that much either, man. Like that's a. They lost some studs up front, and I'll just flat say I don't think BC is is in position to replace those guys. It's also a bit of a question at tackle, not quite as much, but at end, this has me feeling better about this Florida State game because there's no question offensive tackle for Florida State is by far their worst position. And in my, my head, I'm kind of like, all right, which games can Florida State just not block the opposing defensive ends? Thus, I kind of have to, you know, without using bad faith, project a loss. 
Boston College now is is not one of those games, despite the fact that, that it's on the road. Uh, they, they lost a ton up front on defense. A ton up front. Uh, they bring back most of their linebacker core, with the exception of Connor Strachan, uh, a kid that some Florida State fans will remember. Uh, Boston College, not to be uh, stereotypical here, but almost seems to seems to always have very solid linebacker play and pieces. That's that's kind of the one position I feel like you can recruit the Northeast and, and seemingly regularly find athletes that can play at the D1 level. Uh, you tend to have a little more trouble finding skill and, and then people along the line of scrimmage. Uh, so BC does well there, and I expect them to be solid at linebacker, but uh, Strachan's a good player, their middle linebacker, and uh, accounted for a, a, a decent amount of production out of what they got out of the, the middle of their defense last year. I completely agree. By the way, the best secondary in the ACC last year was? Boston College. I think it was BC. Yeah. Goodbye, Will Harris. Goodbye, Tajamir Torres. Goodbye, Lucas Dennis. And goodbye, Hamp Cheevers. So that seems like a fairly big deal. <laughs> And that's not Boston something College. Yeah, where I just made a comment to where Boston College can seemingly regularly replace linebackers and plug them in. Uh, no, Boston College is not a school that can replace the best secondary in the conference and not suffer any kind of drop-off. So when we lead the podcast with a, a conversation about a team that's probably going to see some kind of fall-off, it's just a matter of how much it is. Uh, it's because of position groups like this. So just talent that you don't find in, in Boston College uh, all that often. And it may not go from first to worst, but I, I think it'll go from first to probably dropping out of the top third in the league for sure. I, this defense, I would project to take a large step back. If they're a top 50 defense, because they were 32nd last year, I'll be pretty surprised. I, I think they're probably going to be be worse than 50th. And that, to me, means they're going to have to score points to win games. That is not really how Steve Adazio likes to operate. Now, they did go really fast last year. Right, it was weird. Their tempo was was very quick. I think they had like a top ten tempo at BC. Although the fact they ran the ball a lot, you know, it was, was kind of it kind of clouded that fact or, or hid that fact a little bit. However, man, can, can Adazio be cool with with playing wide open and, and needing to score a whole lot of points to win to make up for this defense? Because I I don't know, man. Um, his his defenses on average over the last four years have been eighty spots better. Than the offense in SP. Again, he's averaged an 80 spot better defense than offense over his last four years at BC. If this defense falls apart as much as I think it very well could, this is going to be a totally new phenomenon for him. And I don't know that the offense is going to take, take a big enough step up forward to counteract the step back, I think, in the defense. I mean, do you do you think the offense is going to take a bigger step and the defense take back? Uh no, I I don't see it there. And I'll I'll stop very much uh, i will profile the special teams very briefly here and this is something we normally only do if you're very good or very bad and bc last year was very very poor and the, what they did do well was in the return game uh mainly walker there he's gone uh questions everywhere when i look at, at boston college and I, i'm not sure uh, a program that seemingly has become a almost a rubber stamp to win seven games not not sure that happens at this point I had them missing a bowl. Also, the timing of this game for Florida State. Okay, yeah, you're going. You're in a stretch after the bye at Clemson, at Wake, Syracuse, Miami, at BC. But after this, you have Alabama State in a bye week. After this game, Boston College does have a bye week. However, they're also coming off NC State at Clemson at Cuse. There's a scenario I can paint you here 
to where BC, who has Vatek, Richmond, Kansas, Rutgers, Wake at Louisville, they they could start three and one or or four and oh. And then maybe split Wake and Louisville and 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 be, you know, five and one, four and two through their first six and lose out. Like tell me which of these games you think Boston College is gonna be favored to win. NC State at Clemson at Q's Florida State at Notre Dame at Pitt. They they could go four and eight or five and seven pretty easily and, and miss a bowl game here. And if that happens, Florida State might be really catching them at a nice time, right? Where they they've had three consecutive losses, NC State, Clemson, and Q's, potentially two really big ones in a row, too. Uh and, and I don't want to use the Q word, but they they might be in the middle of kind of quitting there in that season because Adazio could be on the hot seat. As much as our friend Jeff Cameron likes him, BC fans and, and administration wants to see a little more. They want to see kind of more of that eight win range, not that six and you know six and seven wins after after a while, especially because the product's not that exciting to watch. You you turn in a five and seven or a four and eight, this this team might uh, you could have an interim coach by then. It'd be uh, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out. It's a it's one of the few spots in the calendar where I think Florida State is a little bit uh, benefited as to how the game falls and uh, a, a game that you feel confident Florida State one of the one of the conference games here that you feel more confident Florida State should be able to go and get a victory at the same time you're talking about a, a team from Florida traveling up to Boston in the second week of uh, November you don't know what the weather's going to be like uh, you don't know where the mentality and mindset of the team is going to be coming off uh, a game against Florida, uh, a rivalry game where you probably kind of empty the tank, so to say. So when you look at the roster, you feel confident. Maybe when you look at some of the larger intangibles, a slight amount of more doubt starts to start to crawl into your head. But again, this, this should be a, a game and a team that Florida State ultimately uh, goes and gets a victory when facing. I, I completely agree. Hopefully this has been an enjoyable preview. Quarterback is a, a, a spot that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Like I mentioned, uh, this is fun for Bud and I for numerous reasons, but it is kind of the uh, show number one on the fourth fourth season of us doing the Nolcast. So just want to thank you, the listener, for all the support you've given us. It's been a hell of a ride. Uh, a lot of room left for us to go in our opinions. The show is um, constantly improving. We're excited to debut some of the new ideas and positive changes that we think we can continue to make and uh thank you again to you the listener for the support you've given us and here's to us uh beginning 2019